Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 273 The Witness. We're joined again by indie game designer Jonathan Blow to speak about his upcoming game, The Witness, as well as his in depth exploration of non duality. This is part two of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. I'm, I'm also curious, um, having talked a little bit about Braid, this, this new game that you're working on, um, has a really provocative title, The Witness. Yeah. And the first time I'd ever heard that phrase was um, in a collection of uh, writings or, or that were taken from talks from uh, this uh, guy named Ramana Maharshi. And um, I'm just curious if you could say a little bit about what The Witness is, um, not, not, not in quotes, The Witness, but just you know what the game is and... Um, and, and sort of what the process has been like working on that. All right. This is going to be a little more difficult and messy because this is totally like I'm knee deep in this project right now. Right. So, so, whatever you can, so whatever you can share, of course. Well, I just mean to say that it's, it's just it's complicated and it's, there's all these ideas flying around. Like it's a, it's a much more ambitious uh, project than the previous game. We'll start there. Um, so there's a classic video game that many people may have played called Myst. Um, it was a big bestseller back in its day, which I guess was the mid-90s, or I don't know what year it came out. No, earlier than that, early 90s. Um, and it was back in the days when CD-ROMs were new to computers, so you could put color images on the screen in a high-density way for the first time. And it, the game was sort of about exploring an island by clicking on places on the screen and solving puzzles. There were many aspects of that game that I really enjoyed back in the day and that haven't ever really been done by anyone else since then. So I had a little hankering to do something like that. And then, you know, right toward the end of developing Braid, I had some idea. um, And the best way to describe the idea is that it was about epiphany. It was about creating moments of little miniature epiphanies in the world of a game that would feel like, you know, bigger enlightenment style experiences, right? Um, That they would be things where you would not understand something for a while, but then suddenly come to understand it, right? But not because that thing was really complicated or hard to understand, which is the way that video games usually are, um, but because... Uh, it was too simple to understand, right? Because it was right in front of your face the whole time and you just kind of refused to see it or didn't know to see it. And that was a really interesting idea and um, it took a while to figure out how to make a game out of it. And as always, the game I've sort of ended up with isn't really at all the one that I started with. Um, But that's sort of the, the baseline idea, the inspiration for it. Um, But then on top of that, there's this very, involved game where you explore this island that's been deserted 
and there's lots of you know buildings and facilities on there where people were doing things and you get to wonder about the history of what was going on here and you solve puzzles and in a sense the puzzles are like braid they're not trying to make you be smart some of them are harder some of them are easier um but they're about communicating. They're, they're about exploring, again, some process of form going through iterations and you as a player seeing the interesting things that can happen there, right? So that's that's one of the many levels at which, <laughs> to sort of get back to the title, right, at which the game sort of has a mode of... of uh, encouraging a witnessing presence, I would say, to, to the extent that a game can do that kind of a thing. It, it's a game about looking at things and seeing them and knowing that you're looking at things and seeing them. So it tries to add you know, a level of self-referentiality to that process of seeing things and of, of asking the question, like, what is it like to be in a world and walk around and be seeing things and be hearing things? Now, it's interesting that, you know, I, I came up with the idea for this game uh, before I had any real exposure to uh, Ramana Maharshi and those kind of uh, non-duality ideas. Um, but then I, you know, I, I ran into that current of spirituality, I think, in 2009, and that's that's been my thing since then. So it's really interesting that I'm working on this game because um, it all it all kind of ties together in one one thing for me now. Okay, that's really interesting. Could you say a little bit more about that? How, like how how does it tie together? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good answer. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's too early to. To conclude, you know, I mean, right now it's such an ambitious project that um, I'm just sort of navigating it day to day at this point. Like, I certainly have a master plan of of what I am trying to make, and it's not just it's not just me making it. Right, I have a team of people working on this. Um, about thirteen or fourteen people total. Not all of them full time. You know, six or seven of them full time, and so. Um, you know, a lot of my day-to-day life right now is management, like running a company and, sure. and then trying to uh, helm, the, helm this art project so that it comes out the right direction, which is an interesting thing to try and do when so many people are, are, are working on something. So um, I definitely have this day-to-day just coping aspect to what I'm doing. Sure, sure. And maybe that's a little bit exaggerated the way that I've said it, but I, which is all just to say that um, that's a little bit okay because uh, the, the the flavor of non-duality that I've been into sort of encourages that anyway. <laughs> it encourages um, non-premeditated responses to situations, just behaving naturally. So I believe that that's sort of what I'm doing in my in my process of development is. I've built up an understanding of what I'm doing and, and what I would like this to be. And then now from day to day, I'm responding naturally so that it occurs uh, on the best of days. <laughs> on, on other days, I get all stressed and 
So sure. I mean, what I hear you describing is like you, you're in. You're so much in in a certain process that it's difficult to take a step back from it and describe it. You know, and you're able to do that with Braid, but it's been several years. You know, since since it's been released and. You know, there's been time to reflect on it and stuff. So I appreciate what what you're able to say, given that you're just sort of in the middle of this really big um, development process. I, I was curious. You said you you'd sort of gotten involved with um, Advaita Vedanta. Um, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that, like in terms of what that's been like and and how that ties in with what we were talking about before this this process that you've been in, involved in uh, with respect to you know the the spiritual side and then also. Um, to whatever degree it makes sense, the the, the side of creating games and uh, creating these these little universes. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it is it is a very it is a very big situation that's hard to summarize. Um, I would I would clarify, like if I say Advaita Vedanta, it might give people some people the impression that um, that I'm doing the flavor of it, where you read a lot of Indian scriptures and things like that which is not the way that I come at it. So, um, you know, let's say, let's say non-duality, uh, right. Which is a Western word, but, but typically what that means in practice to me is I'll go to satsangs or to retreats, um, where the, the primary goal is just to, uh, primary goal, right. That's already a little bit of a, silly phrase to employ, uh, but it's just to encourage, uh, facilitation of a non-dual view of the world. Um, and that, that takes a different form depending on where you go and who you're with and what people are feeling like that day, even really what it's done in terms of my day-to-day life. Like I've had some, some very interesting personal realizations just even within the past year that change the way that I interact with the world generally, you know, and with, with my senses of time and space and with how I, uh, interpret things that are happening. And when things are that basic, it's, it's a little bit hard to encapsulate and say, and this is how it affects the way I'm developing a video game. Sure. Because it affects everything. Um, yes. So I, I feel like I want to give you a more satisfying answer to that question, but I'm not sure what that would be exactly. Um, that, and, and, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I suspect people listening are probably okay with that. Um, one thing you said you know, in terms of and this is very, I, I find this is a very interesting point because you know, in the in the Buddhist contemplative scene, you know, there's there's a lot of overlaps that that I've noticed between sort of the the non-dual approaches or scenes and and kind of the the way that people are looking at things, and then in the Buddhist scene, there's there's definitely non-dual uh, strains of Buddhist practice, um, and so these are not completely disconnected fields. And so one of the things you said is really interesting is like you're getting together with a group of folks and, you know, in the form of a satsang or whatever, and, and trying to, you know, encouraging a kind of non-dual way of understanding or viewing their experiencing the world. Um, here's a, uh, maybe a question, just given your own process with that, what, what is a non-dual 
view of the world or experience of the world? I mean, what, what, what is that? <laughs> what is that? What is that? Um, oh, you know, I don't, you know, when people would ask Ramana that question, he would usually not say anything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and I'm certainly <laughs> not, not qualified to do better than he was. Right. So, um, I don't, I don't feel like I can say anything too meaningful. Um, so I'll, I'll attempt to say a few words and we'll just keep in mind that they're wrong. Um, they're not true and they're not correct. Um, and, and these are coming from my own personal way that I come at it, like seeing the world in a, in a kind of a sciencey way, right? You know, we, we have this idea, you know, we, we operate from day to day. We wake up generally and we have these core assumptions about how we're interacting with the world, right? Um, that I'm this person and it is right now a certain time and I am you know, now I'm going to eat breakfast and I'm going to eat something uh, that I want. And, oh, I feel really not so good because there isn't enough sugar to put on my cereal. And I like sugar, right? And this, just this very um, self, little self-oriented viewpoint um, that then goes and interacts with everything that happens in the day, like, why is that person looking at me that way? What they must think something strange about me. Um, how do I engage in tactics to make them think better about me? Right. And all of that, when you look at all of that, it really occupies most of what most people's minds are doing most of the time is this, you know, this reinforcement of, of this personal identity, right? And I, I don't think that I'm saying anything that Buddhists would find surprising at all um, so far. And so what, what, we, uh, what we tend to do is just look at that um, and see it. And once you see it, you realize that you actually have choices in these matters, right? That, that feeling, uh, well, you know, to take a really simple situation, like feeling alienated from this other person who's looking at you funny and caring a lot about the outcome is a choice, right? Or, um, you know, feeling hungry and being grumpy about it. There's a disconnect, right, between the sensation of hunger and the feeling grumpy about it. And there's a tremendous amount of, um, of, mental activity at the very least that happens to join those two things and that you have many choices in there about how that's going to go. Um, but not just choices at an intellectual level, like not just, ah, I'm seeing this person and, and they're looking at me funny and, oh wait, I realize that I'm reacting to that and I'm going to step back and not react that way. That's sort of how it starts, but eventually it becomes cultivating that naturally so that you just don't feel that way anymore. Um, so that you just realize, um, 
that you are a broader and more integrated part of reality and that this abstraction of being an individual is very useful for survival of a human being kinds of purposes, but it isn't necessarily the closest thing to truth. And just right there, trying to take that, that last sentence and realize it very deeply is, is a very challenging thing for a human being to do and uh, very difficult. I don't know. Ho- hopefully that uh, is a reasonable description. Hmm. And do you, do you have some sense of wanting that to, that realization or that understanding that we're you know you you mentioned the sense of being a small self like the small reference point that we're reference point that we're always referring back to and the the way in which if that begins to kind of break apart some you know that we sort of recognize wow um i'm 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 sort of part of a much bigger integrated whole or reality that that's i didn't see before because i was so focused on this little this like my, my myself basically my own concerns and survival and you know fears and um, all of that is that something that you're wanting to get across in in the work that you're doing is that something that you have a conscious intention to get across in some way because I I get the sense a little bit a little bit okay that a little bit so so I this is a very interesting area for me right now because I'm in the process of writing the story stuff for this game which is one of the places where that kind of expression would come out. Right. You know, there are little uh, voice recordings hidden around this island that you explore where there's a narrator who talks to you about various subjects. And this kind of idea would, you know, would be there. Um, The thing is, I certainly don't feel like I'm in a place where I can tell people what's true generally like that. I don't feel like that is my role right now, if only because I'm in such a position right now that my own perception of the world is dramatically changing at a rapid pace. And so, you know, to, to tell people what's going on, um, or, or to tell people, Hey, you should think this, or you should believe this, uh, does not feel appropriate in such a situation for many reasons, but, but also, um, I really, again, this is something where the tradition of video games starts to dovetail with what I'm trying to do here and wanting to do something different. So traditionally in a video where you have these kind of, you know, elements spread around like recordings and you go click on them and play them and somebody tells you some piece of backstory, they're usually very presentational, like it's like a radio show and it's very theatrical. And since a lot of video games are about, you know, shooting things or whatever, a typical recording is like, Oh no, the aliens are going to break through the door and I'm hiding the secret key in the thing. And Oh no, I'm getting eaten now or whatever. Right. Right. Um, that's how they usually go. And what I'm finding is appropriate for what I'm trying to do now is just to report from my own current viewpoint what things look like and what things feel like and to contextualize what I've understood in the past and what I understand now and and how some transition was made there, but to do it in a way that isn't 
trying to tell people that this is how things are or this is what to believe. It's more just like a very personal report. And the idea is to do something that's very plain speaking, very straightforward and very vulnerable, to put myself in a very vulnerable position through telling this story. Because the problem that happens, I first became aware of this uh, problem consciously uh, when listening to an interview uh, with Krista Tippett, who runs the podcast On Being, which you probably know since you're a podcaster. Sure. Um, you know, she talked about this rule that she has where, you know, when she, she has people of all kinds of faiths uh, show up and, and talk about things. And she has this rule where you can't talk about God in the abstract in the interviews. Um, you can, you can only talk about how that kind of question impacts your life or your personal situation or your personal beliefs. And, and the reason is because when we start talking about grand truths, I mean, this is me talking now, this is not, this is not what Krista said, but when we start talking about grand truths or, Hey, this is what you ought to believe. Um, it becomes very easy to, to talk down to people and to distance oneself from people and to be wrong and to be pompous, right? So, so I found that the best antidote to that is to be maximally vulnerable uh, because, because that prevents you from positioning yourself above the person you're speaking to. And you know, once you do that, uh, everything, right. It's like, you're, it's like you're speaking to an old friend who you love rather than making some big presentation to impress somebody. So that's a very difficult process. And I'm actually, I'm still toward the beginning of that process because the, the production parts of the game, like just get writing the program and, building the 3d models and stuff has been occupying much of my time lately. Um, but, but it's going well, I think, um, to the extent that it's been done. And that's sort of what I'm going to be launching into in most of 2013 is scoping out that story and building it out and trying to see if it is going to come together into something coherent as a story for a video game, or if it's just going to be something crazy, but, but either way, it's what's going to happen. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash 
conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.